The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Take your Bibles this morning with me and let's turn, turn to Daniel chapter 1 because we're going to end up there in a little while, and, and so since Daniel is sometimes a harder book to find, why don't you go ahead and just turn to Daniel chapter 1 and, and stay there. We've been studying on servants of the living God and talking about what it means to be a servant, and we, we discussed prerequisites to being a servant. And I started uh, several weeks ago... Um, talking about the attributes of a servant of God. Uh, And they're listed there on your study sheets, the 16 that we've looked at thus far. I'm not going to go down the list and and discuss each one. You can can read them and hopefully uh, you remember some of the things we taught concerning these. Um, But I want to continue our study in the attributes of being a servant of the living God. And uh, I want us to focus, as we go through these, I want us to focus on our own hearts and our own life. Are we, are we the type of person that the Bible describes as a servant of God? And, and some of these attributes overlap each other. Some are similar, but yet they're different. So sometimes it might sound like, well, you just, you te- you're teaching the same thing, you just gave it a different word. But that's not always true because each one uniquely has characteristics and qualities that we need to learn so that we can be a more effective and efficient servant of God. So today, let's pick it off with number 17. And I want to say that a servant of God is dependable. Dependable. In Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 19... Solomon writes, confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. Let's pray before we we get into our study this morning. Father, we come to you today and we're so humbled, Lord, by your love for us and by your watch care over us. And Lord, if we're diligent to look at every aspect of our life, we'll see your footprints there. We know that you never leave us or forsake us. We know that you're always there working things out in our life. So Father, help us to be attentive to you and your word. Help us to develop and grow as servants of God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Solomon says that placing confidence in a man that cannot be trusted, in an unfaithful man, is like a broken tooth or a foot out of joint. How many of you have ever broken a tooth? Any of you ever broke a tooth? Um, I have. It's very painful. The worst thing is that it, 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 it interferes with my meal. And that's the worst thing. And a broken tooth is something that requires attention, does it not? You can't just ignore a broken tooth. And he, he said it's also like a foot out of joint. 
Now, probably everyone here has experienced that, right? A foot out of joint. Uh, I played high school football, and I, I had a one, this ankle right here. Would, would, it would tend to get twisted all the time, and I'd, I'd be walking around all week long on crutches, and then on Friday I'd, take, I'd throw the crutches aside and play another football game. But, but something about a foot out of joint, a, a sprained ankle, or or a knee, or something like that. I remember, uh, where's Melissa? I remember she was coaching our volleyball team. Any of you might, might, might remember this. And they were at practice. It wasn't even a game, I don't believe. I think it was practice. And, and she dislocated her kneecap. Oh, that was, that was horrible. And, and, and something like that is, is a terrible thing. And it's, it's painful. And Solomon says, inspired by God, that when you and I are not trustworthy, when we're unfaithful, that's, that's the way he feels about us. We're like, we're like someone with a broken tooth or like, or like someone with a foot out of joint. Now, I have heard it said that the greatest ability is dependability. Any of you ever hear that? The greatest ability is dependability. I've heard that in so many motivational speeches. Uh, I, I, can't, I couldn't even tell you how many times I've heard that. And while I cannot attest to the fact that dependability is the greatest ability, I would certainly agree that it is one of the most important abilities that we have, is to be dependable. Now, think about this for a moment. Not everyone in this room this morning can teach a Sunday school lesson. Not everyone here, sitting here right now, could prepare and and deliver a message, a a preaching message on on Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon or, or Wednesday for that matter. Not everyone can do that, right? I think we could all agree that some, some people just don't have that ability. But, nor could everyone here this morning walk over and play that piano. Now, I could. I could play that piano. But you wouldn't like the sounds coming out of it. I'll tell you that right now. The, the notes that I would play would just be random notes. They wouldn't be orchestrated into music. It wouldn't be pleasant. It wouldn't be desirable. Now, Melissa and Lucy, they can walk over there and make that thing sing and make it beautiful. Although every now and then they do play a note or two. I have no idea where it belongs or what it's for. But But I can't do that. So we can establish here that some abilities, uh, gifts or talents, if you will, some abilities are, are, in fact, a little bit greater than others. Right? Everybody agree with that? However, everyone in this room this morning can be dependable. Everyone can be dependable. The definition of dependable is capable of being trusted or Reliable. 
You see, dependability is a choice. We choose whether we will be dependable or not. It's not a gift or a talent. If you look through the scripture, the, the Bible doesn't talk about the gift of dependability. It doesn't, it doesn't talk about the gift of dependability because dependability is not a gift. It's a choice. It is a conscious choice made by each individual believer. Now, in Joshua 24, in verse 15, the first part of that verse, Joshua tells the people of Israel, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. So Joshua tells the, the, the people of Israel, you have to choose. You have to make a choice who you will serve. So dependability, being, being dependable, is a choice. Now, as I've stated many previous times in previous lessons in this series of studies, we must choose to be a servant of God. We must make a conscious choice to serve God. Now, God has enabled us to serve him, right? He's empowered us to walk in holiness. He's empowered us to live in righteousness. But we must choose to act upon that enablement, that empowerment that he has given to us. So it's a choice. You choose whether or not you will serve the Lord. You choose whether or not you will be dependable. And we must remember that to whom or what we choose to serve will and has become our God. The scripture tells us, I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Nothing should be before God. There should be nothing between you and God. Absolutely nothing. Absolutely no one. Now, if I were to pass around a, a questionnaire today, and one of those questions was, is anything in life more important to you than God? I'm confident everyone in this room would write the answer. No, nothing is more important to me than God. However, if we look at your life and the choices that we make, and I'm including myself in this, I'm not standing up here claiming that I'm perfect. If you take the time to examine your own life and every choice you make, I'm confident that you would find instances in your life where God is not first. And where we make choices to put other things before the Lord. So we, we need to be aware of this. We need to be dependable to the Father. We must make a choice. I mean, I know it's, I know it's tedious and I know it becomes difficult. Most of us make choices almost instantaneously. We, we have to decide something. 
we make a choice based upon our past experiences, based upon the, the knowledge that we have. We make that choice. And I can't tell you how many times I do that, make a snap decision, make a snap choice. And then down the road a little ways, I stop and say, whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute, maybe that wasn't the best decision. Maybe that wasn't the best choice. So there's a lot to be said for using the, taking the time to think about and pray about a decision before we make it. Even small decisions that are seemingly unimportant. Many years ago, um, when we when we used to have when we had the school, we we would take the teenagers to a a retreat every year. And one year, Brother Jim and I was there, and I I I started computing. If you start with one decision on one day, and you make one take going from that decision forward for thirty days, how many decisions would you have to make? And it all started with one. Remember that, Brother Jim? And it was in the millions, if I remember right. Over a course of 30 days, from that one decision, you had two options. From those two options, branch off into two more options each. All of those branch off into options. They branch off into options, and they keep going. And after 30 days, you've been faced with over a million possible choices. And it all started with one. So do you understand how complex life can be? And so there are no little decisions. That's like the story I heard once where a preacher said, I got married to my wife, and we decided that she would make all minor decisions, and I would make all the major decisions. And after 50 years of marriage, he said, not one major decision has ever come up. <laughs> That'll sink in in a moment. So, we have to remember we need to choose wisely. In Hebrews chapter 11, we have the list of, of heroes of the faith. And, and those men are listed there. Abel, Abel chose, he made a choice. He chose to obey God, and God was pleased with Abel. Um, Noah chose to obey the Lord, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Abraham chose to follow the Lord, and he became the father of the faithful and the father of a great nation. Moses chose to obey the Lord. He chose to suffer affliction with the people of God. And the Bible says he was called the friend of God. These men made wise choices. And you and I must also choose today. And remember, the choices will not be easy. And remaining dependable will be even harder. Yet God expects you and I to remain dependable to him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it says, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. God requires us to be faithful. He requires us to be dependable to him. And a servant of the Lord is dependable. He's dependable to his pastor. He's dependable to his church. He's dependable to his family. He's dependable to his God. So, if we will claim to be servants of the living God, then we must be dependable. We must choose to serve God. 
and we must remain faithful to that choice. So number 17 is a servant of God is dependable. Now let's move on to number 18. And that is this. A servant of God is determined. A servant of God is determined. Now I asked you to turn to Daniel. So you should be there. Hopefully you're at Daniel chapter 1. And look at verse 8 with me please. We read here in verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Now, Daniel, notice that it says he purposed in his heart. He was determined. He made a decision. He decided to be dependable to God. And to be faithful to God's expectations for him. So he purposed in his heart. He, he, he was determined that he was not going to disobey the Lord. And, but it says he, he, determined, he purposed in his heart. I want you to realize this is in his innermost self. In that part which only God could see and know. You know, sometimes we make decisions, but we struggle with those decisions in our heart. Hmm? Sometimes we decide, okay, I'll do it, Lord. I'll do it. But in our heart, we really don't feel that way. In our heart, we say, well, you know, I'd prefer to do something else. But that's not what Daniel did here. Daniel didn't purpose with his mouth not to defile himself. He purposed in his heart. Now that's important. That's key. Because what's in our heart comes out in our life. And in our heart, if we truly don't love the Lord, it's going to become evident in our life. We may try to to put on a persona. We may try to, to, to put fancy clothes on the, on the man but sooner or later the true man will come out and if it doesn't come out to anyone else it doesn't matter because who sees it the Lord he knows, in you, he knows what's in your heart you can't, you can't fool God it's a foolish man who goes to God to pray and he devises a scheme on how he's going to get what he wants from God. It's a foolish man who goes and prays to God and tries to bargain with God for what he wants. Don't you think, don't you think God knows what's in your heart? Don't you think he knows what's in your mind? Don't you think he knows? I know what you're doing. You're not deceiving me. Yes, that's right. And, and, and Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat. But I want you also to understand something. Um, I've studied a lot of history. I, I love history. And, and I studied a lot of military history. And the tactics that a conquering nation would use is they would kill all royalty. That was the first thing they would do. When they took over a nation, they'd kill all the royalty. They'd kill the king. They'd kill the queen. They'd kill the children. They, they'd kill everyone in line for the throne. Everyone. 
They'd kill them all. They'd kill all the politicians. They'd kill them all. They would, they would totally destroy their government. They would, they would terrorize the people. Now, detailed studies of all of this event tends to teach us that Daniel was one of the, one of the children of the higher educated members of Israel. He and, and some comrades of his. Uh, look over at verse number, uh, let's see here. Verse number seven. Well, actually, look at verse six. It says, now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But I guess they had a hard time pronouncing Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah because they changed their names to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these three boys were taken with Daniel. I, I would assume they were probably children of, of some, some educators or government leaders, perhaps. And they were taken because they had skill and knowledge of medicine and, and, and government and other things from the Jewish people that, that King Nebuchadnezzar was going to use what he wanted and, and, and not use what he didn't want. So they were taken captive. They were brought uh, they were brought to Nebuchadnezzar's castle. And of course, they, they, Nebuchadnezzar commanded them to make sure that the children were healthy and well. So they were going to feed them the best of food from the king's table. But that was food that was unclean to the Jewish custom. And so Daniel would not partake of that. Now, you understand, Daniel is no longer at home. Uh, he probably, quite possibly, witnessed the death of his own parents. Uh, he, he, he knew he was a captive and was never going back. Daniel had absolutely, humanly speaking, no motivation to continue to live his life uh, according to the way that he was raised. He, he, every logical sense would have said, if you want to survive, you need to play the game. You need to walk the path set before you. But Daniel wouldn't do that. You see, he had made a commitment to God and he wasn't going to turn back on it. It would have been very easy for Daniel to knuckle under to the pressures that he faced. The the pressures to comply. The pressures to survive. But he did not. He was determined to remain faithful to the commandments of his God. Now, I want to emphasize something right here. And I want your attention for a moment. If you're sleeping, wake up. After this, you can go back to sleep. You and I will never raise a generation that is faithful to God unless we first demonstrate faithfulness to God in our own life. Did you hear what I said? If you don't live it, they won't live it. And and let me tell you something. Living it in church is not enough. If you don't live it at home. Because they see what you do at home. You may not think they do. You You might not think your children connect the dots. But they do. I'll give you an example. Daniel was determined to be faithful. 
And his faithfulness, his daring, his, his willingness to be put to death for what was right was witnessed by the young men that were imprisoned with him. Shadmach, Meshach, and Abednego. These same three young men faced a similar challenge not too far down the road. They faced a similar challenge in their own lives, if you remember. Yet, because of the example set by David, they had the courage to stay faithful and remain determined in their service to the Lord. Look at chapter 3, Daniel chapter 3. When we go over to chapter 3, we find out that um, Nebuchadnezzar built a, an idol and he gave command that everyone was to worship that idol and, and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego refused to worship that idol so they were, they were brought before the king and the consequence for not worshiping the idol was to be cast alive into the fiery furnace so look with me now, now they've been brought before the king and they've been set before Nebuchadnezzar and he's already, he's already told them, look, didn't you hear the law if you didn't, if you didn't worship? So uh, here's the deal. Next time that horn blows, if you are willing to, to bow down and worship, everything will be good. Well, what was their answer to him? Look at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Old Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. In other words, they said, we're not afraid, to, O king, to give you our answer right now. You don't have to, we don't have to wait until the music plays again. We'll tell you right now. Verse 17, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Now, I want to stop there for a moment. I want to explain something to you. They said, if it's God's will, you, the, he'll, he'll deliver us from this furnace. But if not, we may go into the furnace, but we're going to be rid of you. Your, your rule over us is done. That's what they're telling him. They're saying, if it be so, our God who is able will deliver us from the fiery furnace. But if not, he will deliver us from you. And that's what they're telling him. Like it or not, king, your, your, your power over me is gone. Because I obey God, not you. That's what they told him. Now verse 18. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Did you see the courage of these young men? Now how many of you for even a moment think those three young men would have been so bold to stand up before Nebuchadnezzar if David had told them, hey guys, you know what? Maybe we just better go ahead and eat this food and drink this wine. You know, uh, what else are we going to do? Huh? You know, we can't, we can't, we can't fight the world. Let's just give in. And in our hearts, in secret, we're going to continue to love God. But we'll go ahead and we'll play their game. 
Do you think for one moment, if he had done that, that they would have had the they would have been bold, so bold to stand up, stand up in the king's face and tell him, we're done with you. And let me tell you something. Your children better see that kind of courage in you or they won't be able to take it to the next level. And the next level is coming. It, it, it is coming. The day is coming. The night is coming. Not might come, is coming. The day is coming when our liberties to worship God as he commands will be taken away from us. That day is coming in America. Maybe not in my generation, maybe not in my children's generation, but probably in my grandchildren and their children's generation. The freedom to worship God, the freedom to teach as I am teaching right now will be gone. And if you do it, you're going to face the consequences. And will we have enough courage to do it? That's the question. The day is coming. Will our children have the courage? I, I don't know. But I can tell you what history records. In, in Judges chapter 2 and verse 10. Let's turn there. Turn there with me to Judges chapter 2 and verse number 10. It's right after Joshua. Easy to find. Judges chapter 2, verse 10. We read, And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. Will our, will our grandchildren and great-grandchildren, uh, will they be determined to follow the Lord? I don't know. But I do know that history is not in their favor. And do you know why that generation arose that didn't know God? I preached a message on this once. A big part of the blame was the failures of the fathers. The failures of the father was the major reason. That generation didn't know the Lord because their fathers didn't live for God and they didn't teach them about God. So go ahead. And you know what? The crowd I need to talk to is the crowd that's not here. <laughs> so I'm going to have to teach this to you and you've got to go teach them. Go ahead, parents, and demand your rights to do your own thing. But just remember... Your children are watching. And in the day they need faith and strength, they'll have none. Because we have failed to show them the might and the power of God. A servant of God is dependable. And a servant of God is determined. Well, I didn't get to point number 19 today and I didn't expect I would. So we'll pick that one up next time. So thank you for being here this morning, and you are dismissed. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, 
you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.